Alright, welcome to this episode of Run Past the Brain Cell. I'm Adam Skirko, as always, joined by my co-host Jake Miller. How you doing, man? Good about yourself. I'm doing pretty good, doing pretty good. Definitely surprised that we're heading into week eight. We've got one game in the books already, Thursday Night Football. But, damn, the season's going by quick. And we're just about to have the trade deadline next Tuesday. It definitely feels a bit unreal moving this quick. But I will say one thing. Last week was one of the, we mentioned in the podcast, was that it was one of the ugliest weeks of football we have ever seen in recent memory. This week was one of the most ref ball filled weeks I can remember in recent memory. That was a non-playoff week. Very much so. There was a lot of missed calls, a lot of bad spots, a lot of mess. Just a mess. But let's get into that with our Eyes on 5 recap of Week 7. And Jake, starting off with your first game, you had the Raiders and the Bears. We both picked the Raiders, but they got absolutely smashed by Tyson Bagent from Shepard, who we were calling Tyson Baguette. The Bears held home 30-12 to against the Raiders. Jake, what were your thoughts on this game? It was a shit show, just not a double-sided shit show like we thought it would be. <laughs> I honestly thought that this was going to be like a very low-scoring affair because both offenses wouldn't be able to do shit because both their starting quarterbacks were out. Now, Aiden O'Connell did start for the Raiders, but it was kind of a day late and dollar short. He only had 13 passes. The thing that I really can't understand is how the fuck can they not get this run game going? Josh Jacobs was the NFL's leading rusher last season. Zamir White is a very good backup, and I love his burst. Like, if you can't get that run game going, a lot of what the Raiders' offense is, is stacking the box for play action so they can... Commit to the so the defense has to commit to the run game and they're not doing anything. Like Devontae Adams at least had some production, but it was all just quick slants and some not even go routes, just slants and drags. Jo- Jacoby Myers played really good for number two, having seven for fifty and a touchdown. Tyree Wilson finally did something in his young NFL career. Finally got a sack. Max Crosby playing like Max Crosby. The one thing I love was. There was one point where they had a running back chip Max Crosby when they were close to their own end zone. And then you had the tight end and the right tackle double team him. I love seeing that because I just laughed my ass off. The one thing that I like with the Bears is even without having your star quarterback in, that run game is still doing good shit. Deonta Foreman and Darrington Evans... Really good one-two punch. Deonta Foreman had three touchdowns. I love seeing what he could do. Hell, we even had a Mercedes Lewis sighting. He had a catch for 16 yards. And when they get Roshan Johnson, their star running back rookie, this running game is going to be even more deadly. It kind of seems like Darnell Wright's finally getting it figured out at right tackle a little bit. The O-line is starting to click. I'm not going to say it's starting to be good, but it's at least starting to click, which I like. And I think you could see what Tyson Bajan did and put a lot of that into Justin Fields' game. High percentage completions and playing it safe. 
you can win games that way, especially with how your run game is. Absolutely. And not only that, Jake, I mean, Tyson Bajan, again, we were making fun of him a lot, but yeah, they had a lot of high percentage throws. I mean, the stat line's not going to wow you 21 and 29 for 162 and one touchdown, but he played clean, efficient football. He only got sacked once and they leaned on the running game. Yeah, yeah, you threw the ball 29 times. You ran it 38 for 173. And Deontay Foreman, Jake, you have to remember, he played extremely well the game after we saw Christian McCaffrey get traded from the Panthers to the Niners last year. He played really mm-hmm. well. He had a three-touchdown game, I think, the week after. And then you have three touchdowns here. And again, the passing yards aren't going to wow you. I mean, DJ Moore, he did have eight catches, but only 54 yards. But again, it was clean football and the defense making tackles, a lot of pass defenses. You had 10 pass breakups. That is just fantastic. And not to mention, Jake, you had three interceptions too, one of them going back for a touchdown. Now on the Raiders side, you and I picked this game fully expecting Aiden O'Connell to get the start, but we had Brian, I only work with Patriot coaches, Hoyer, 17 of 32 for 129 and two picks, no touchdowns. It's pathetic. Why wouldn't you have Aiden O'Connell, a rookie who we, he looked good in the preseason. Now we don't have to put a whole lot of stock in the preseason, but I mean, he went 10 of 13 for 75 yards, one touchdown. And he did throw a pick, but he's a rookie. And he has mobility, something Brian Hoyer has never had. Their run game, it's absolutely pathetic. Josh Jacobs, 11 carries for 35 yards. I know the O-line's not much, but Colton Miller's a solid tackle. And I just, I don't get why Josh Jacobs, he just has looked bad. He's just looked plain bad all year. I don't understand it. This is the guy who led the league in rushing last year. Now, Devontae Adams, he, you know, he got his targets, but Jacoby Myers is out targeting Devontae Adams, 13 to 12. I know it's not big, but it is telling that he's the one that's getting leaned on a little bit more than Devontae. Now, they had a similar stat line, 7 for 57 for Devontae, 7 for 50 and a touchdown for Jacoby Myers. But that's telling, Jake. And the defense, they're not playing much better either. You had two sacks on a backup quarterback. Two. And you you didn't get any turnovers. And if you're going to turn the ball over three times, I don't care who you're playing. Usually, if you turn the ball over three times, you're going to lose. Now, my Seahawks got away with it this past week against the Cardinals. But it's just, you can't get away with things like this. Now, as far as the Raiders go, Jake, I think they're going to be sellers at the trade deadline. I think Hunter Renfro, he could be on the trading block. I think, I honestly think that you could see, you know, someone like Robert Spillane also on the trade block. But the Bears, you have to have some hope after this because you your defense played lights out. And with what we saw offensively with Tyson Bajan, if they can transfer over any of that to Justin Fields, fantastic. The Bears have some optimism, even at two and five. And you can't forget, they have two first round picks heading into this year. They have the number one overall pick right now. 
Now, whether they keep Justin or not, that's not for us to decide right now. But if they kept Justin Fields and, like, let's say they traded down to the second overall pick. So, number one, Caleb Williams easy. Number two, imagine DJ Moore, Darnell Mooney, and Marvin Harrison in this offense. That I don't care how shitty your OC is and Luke Getzey as your head coach or whatever your OC even is, you can't fuck that up. I don't think you can. No, especially even though Marvin Harrison was hurt, he's he's going to be at least a top 20 receiver once he gets in. He's that mm-hmm. good. He he's like Jamar Chase a few years ago when he was an NFL player who just happened to be in college. There was just You know, he had to go through college. But Jake, moving on to my first game, and we actually both got this one right in our predictions. Cleveland taking on Indianapolis. The Browns come away with a 39-38 win in Indianapolis. Now, Jake, this, this game was definitely evidence with some ref ball. Now, P.J. Walker... He didn't have a great stat line, 15 to 32 for 178 and a pick, but that's because Deshaun Watson is becoming about as fragile as wax paper. One of five for five yards and a pick before he got hurt. He re-aggravated his shoulder. He's going to be out this week. PJ Walker's going to get another start. And then not only that, Jake, Jerome Ford, 11 carries for 74 yards and a touchdown, 69 of those yards was on one carry for, for that touchdown. After that, I swear they were trying to figure out how many yards can we get him to lose on tosses out to the right. Now, Cream Hunt, who was nursing his own thigh injury coming into this game, 10 carries for 31 yards, and he had two touchdowns. That was basically where the defense, or where the offense, excuse me, really was humming on the run game. They ran it 33 times for 150 yards, which is fantastic four and a half yards a clip you definitely will take that and receiving wise though they really didn't look for Amari Cooper all that much I mean he had eight targets but there were some forces that were just you couldn't do it he had two catches for 22 yards Elijah Moore had four for 59 Njoku five for 54 a lot better but the tail of this game Jake was the Browns defense as usual yeah they gave up 38 points but you forced, you had four fumbles and you recovered all of them. Ex- well, except for one. Isaiah McKenzie fumbled, but he recovered that one on a muffed punt. But think about that, Jake. You have four fumble recoveries. That's pretty damn good. Three of them were on the defensive side. Excuse me. Jerome Ford did fumble and he did get hurt. But Jake, they were hounding Gardner Minshew. Four sacks, five quarterbacks hits. And they also did have a defensive touchdown because this was the Miles Garrett show. Jake, can we get him some AFC special teams player of the week consideration? He jumped the line to block a field goal and he had two strip sacks, one that instantly contributed for a touchdown and then one that I believe at, I believe it was another touchdown. That was really the tale of this game. Oh, easy. It was freaking just one-sided affair, and it was like, yes, the scoreboard was closer than what it seemed, but that's only really because the freaking quarterback situation for the Browns wasn't that great. 
I think that if you see them trade for like a Jacoby Brissett, like how he played for him last year, you want to have a good quarterback because Watson's injury, I don't know what's going on with it. It is weird. If he's a healthy scratch, it wouldn't shock me. I think if they trade like a fourth round pick, fifth round maybe, for Brissett, that would improve their quarterback situation a lot. And shit, with how the Browns are playing with their defense, it's not out of the realm of possibility for them to win this division. Oh, no, uh, it's not. It, am I saying it's going to be a guarantee? No. But this defense is playing lights out. Now, they, they're... Down some of their guys in the secondary, which is the reason you see Josh Downs, a rookie with 125 and a touchdown, Pittman with two catches, 83 yards and a touchdown. But that Pittman catch where he broke so many tackles and went 75 yards, oh, that was enough to make a grown man cry because of how beautiful that was. It was literally just seeing a big ass slot receiver run the ball and just saying, fuck you, I'm bigger than you and stronger. It really was. And not to mention, Jake, the reason why the score looks as close as it was is because Josh Downs, 59-yard touchdown right after Jerome Ford's long rushing touchdown. And then, yeah, that Michael Pittman 75-yard touchdown, that was grown man football. Now, they did run the ball 40 times, and they they were running it extremely well. Gardner Minshew, he had two rushing touchdowns to go along with two passing touchdowns. He was playing really, really well. And for the most part, I didn't even think that the Indianapolis defense played all that bad. They did force two interceptions. But Jake, this all would have been moot if not for two controversial calls at the end. Now, I agreed with the first one, the illegal contact. You could call it ticky-tack, but it was a penalty. That pass interference, that was a that was charity. Now we've that talked was. about we've talked about that there's really no such thing as charity in sports. That was charity because you cannot tell me that that was anything that should have been called. Because if not for that, they do not get down at the one. They do not score that touchdown. I really thought that the Browns they they got away with one even with their defense playing so well. I mean Miles Garrett two sacks. One pass defense, blocked field goal. Both of them were strip sacks, by the way. I mm-hmm. mean, he was just all over the field. He was just hounding this entire offense for the Colts. He was the leader of this defense. But Jake Deshaun Watson has already been ruled out for the game against the Seahawks. PJ Walker will be starting, and I like my Seahawks' chances, even if. They don't have DK Metcalf, though I do think they will. I like their odds because offensively, do we trust that PJ Walker can have any semblance of offense with Jerome Ford being out, Kareem Hunt probably still nursing that injury? I mean, I don't know, Jake. I'm a little skeptical on the Browns here. Oh, easy. And like I said, that is why if they trade for Jacoby Brissett, it would not shock me in the slightest because he knows the system. He played pretty damn good last year during Deshaun Watson's suspension. I think that if the Browns can get a good quarterback, not a great, just like 
a middle tier quarterback to play for the rest of the year shit you could see a lot of things go great for them but moving on to my second game oh god what were the lions doing here i had uh... the baltimore ravens and the detroit lions now i believe we both picked the lions to win this correct Oh, we sure did. We were in lockstep for all of these games, and we were way off on this one. Yeah, this was a one-sided ass-kicking. The only player that did remotely good was Jameer Gibbs and Amonra St. Brown. Jameer Gibbs showed why he was the second running back taken and why the Lions, in a Ben Johnson offense... Could have been the first running back. Nine catches for 58 yards, 11 rushing attempts for 68 yards, and a touchdown. That's a 6.2 average for rushing the ball. Now, if they weren't down so much, they would have ran the ball a lot more. And you could have seen Jameer Gibbs probably get a buck 50 or a buck 25 on the rushing side, and another. Probably take out probably two catches, drop him to 40 yards, probably 165 total yards on the day, which in my mind is another possibility. Lamar Jackson just destroyed this fucking Lions defense. Only six incompletions, 357 yards, three touchdowns through the air and one on the ground. This game was just beautiful. Mark Andrews finally had a dominant game, which we've been wanting to see. And the Swiss Army Knife from Kyle Van Noy. The mercenary is what I call him. Two sacks and five total tackles. You will take that. And uh, one little interesting thing that I find amazing is the Ravens have the leading interception leader on their team right now. Can you guess who it is? Is it this guy by the name of Geno Stone? Yep. He is leading the league in picks with four he is usually a backup for this team because he is behind marcus williams but geno stone has been playing extremely good now i haven't watched all the ravens games so i don't know if he's just in the right place at the right time or getting lucky i think he's actually starting to grow into his own and show that Hey, if Williams is out, I can step in. And if you want, I can be in the box or Kyle Hamilton can be or me and G me and Marcus can be in the deep third and you can have Kyle be the blitzer or the camp the camp chancellor role pretty much. For sure. And I think that that versatility is going to be very big moving into the later parts of the season, as well as the playoffs, because I think the Ravens are going to be in the playoffs. I mean, that's almost guaranteed now. But, Jake, my biggest thought on this game was turnovers really set the Lions back early on, and this defense, which we thought could be suspect, they did rear its ugly head. They didn't get a single sack on this on Lamar and they only hit him one time Lamar was basically sitting back there in a recliner he was just laying back being able to throw the ball wherever he wanted 21 to 27 for 357 and three touchdowns through the air and he added a rushing touchdown as well 
what more do you want from Lamar Jackson? This is the best Lamar Jackson that we have seen. I mean, he had a 95 QBR, which is off the charts, almost a perfect quarterback rating or passer rating, 155.8, perfect is 158.3, but the run game also, Jake, I love that they are balanced. Lamar threw it 27 times, you ran it 27 times, and you ran it efficiently. You had 5.4 yards a carry, and like you said, Mark Andrews, four catches for 63 yards and two touchdowns, happy national tight end day, everybody. Now, Sam oh, Laporta... Shit. Sam Laporta, unfortunately, was not so lucky. He had six catches, but for only 52 yards. And that's because you had Jared Goff throw the ball 53 times. When you get behind by what they were what they were behind by, Jake, I think at one point they were down 35 to nothing. You're, you have to throw the ball, and I'm shocked that Goff only had one interception, and that was pretty early on, but he did get sacked five times. He got hit eight in total. And, I mean, I think that outside of Amon Ross St. Brown, your leading receiver outside of him, who had, I mean, he had 13 for 102, was Jameer Gibbs. Nine catches for 58 yards. He had 10 targets, which is more than everyone else not named Amon Ross St. Brown because he had 19. The running game was non-existent, which, again, like you said, if they get down that far, you absolutely end up abandoning the run because you have to get back in striking range fast. And the only way to do that's throwing the ball. I don't have any less faith in the Lions. I think that they are still a good team. I think there's a stat, Jake, that Lamar Jackson is 16 and one against the NFC. And so because of how fast he is, how dynamic he is, you can't really prepare for him. There's no real way to prep for his speed, his agility, his ability. And so I don't take too much against from the Lions. I think Lamar Jackson is just phenomenal. And again, Jake, this goes back to our first episode when I told you I wanted to pick the Ravens to win the division. I just was worried about the injuries. They're proving me wrong. They're absolutely proving me wrong, and to be honest, I'm okay with it. The Ravens are showing that they are one of the big guys in the AFC. That offense with their new OC, they're still working some kinks out, but I like them a lot better than their old OC just because it's not just running the ball. You're seeing Lamar actually pass the ball really efficiently. And as long as his receivers and his tight ends can catch the damn ball and not drop it, uh, this is going to be a really hard team to beat. Because this defense, just like how we were talking with the Browns, it is scary. Because they have a lot of depth of pass rusher, and they can rotate. Their secondary, it's not 100% healthy, but they're still playing very good. They're linebackers. In my opinion, they have one of the two best middle linebackers in the league. Uh, Roquan Smith is playing out of his damn mind. You are seeing why he is getting paid this much money in this defensive scheme. Because he fits everything that they want to do. He is the Fred Warner for the Ravens. He is. And that is why they traded for him. That's why they paid him. 
because you need that dominant linebacker. And I would argue that just a dominant defensive player, you need you need one. You don't have to have one at every level, but you need at least one. Roquan Smith is that for the Ravens. And I think that he will continue to be, and that will help that defense, which has been playing lights out. But Jake, moving to my second game, Chargers Chiefs. The Los Angeles Chargers go into Arrowhead and they got absolutely smoked 31-17 by the Chiefs. Now, Jake, with this one, it was a tale of two halves. Patrick Mahomes had 300 yards in the first half. He finished 32-42 of 42 for 424, four touchdowns and a pick. But the running game, they didn't really need it during this game. And that's okay, but it does concern me as we get deeper into the season because 13 carries for 32 yards by Isaiah Pacheco, that's not going to cut it. Mahomes was right behind him, but he only ran the ball four times for 29 yards. And then Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I don't expect much from him. Same with Jarek McKinnon. But Travis Kelsey, Jake, we want to talk about National Tight Ends Day. 12 catches, 179 yards, and a touchdown highlighted by a 53-yarder that he just, he was wide open, absolutely cooked Asante Samuel Jr., and honestly, if he wasn't still nursing that ankle injury, Jake, he probably would have been able to cut it back and get into the end zone. Now, he still ended up getting in the end zone, but just phenomenal there. And Jake, Rasheed Rice is once again, I, I said it last week, if you're a fantasy owner, pick up Rasheed Rice, five catches, 60 yards, and a touchdown. He had six targets. That's only going to go up. I think, Jake, that what we're seeing is Kansas City finally having a receiver, not quite at the level of Tyreek Hill, but one that is good enough to at least supplement some of what he does, which you absolutely need. You need a number one receiver that doesn't have to be your number one weapon because no one's going to out-target Travis Kelsey, but Rasheed Rice can at least be your second outlet and your number one receiver rather than having to rely solely on Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Sky Moore, Kadarius Tony, I mean, me, Cole Hardman, who you traded for. Now, on the other side, Jake, or actually, before I do that, I do want to highlight one key injury that the Chiefs had, Nick Bolton. It looked pretty serious. I believe he might be out for the year. I'm not 100% sure on that, but... It looked bad, and he absolutely is a huge playmaker for this defense. I think it's going to be a big loss. Oh, easy. If you don't have Nick Bolton on that defense, that Spagnolo defense is going to be a lot different, and it's kind of scary for them. So he is going to be going under, he's going to undergo surgery for a dislocated wrist. So he's not going to be out for the year, and I don't think they're going to put him on IR, but he's probably at least going to be out for two or three weeks. But, I mean, you do have Willie Gay Jr., who's really good athletic as well. I think we're going to see him and Mike Dana step up kind of in the middle of that defense for the linebackers. And you'll probably see a lot of Trent McDuffie 
or Justin Reed playing in the box to kind of help have that extra pass coverage in the middle of your defense. The one thing that I love is that you are right. Rasheed Rice is turning into his own right now as that number one. How I think how this chief offense will be perfect is Travis Kelsey's that clear number one. No one's going to notch him out of that till he retires. Rasheed Rice, like you said, can be the number one receiver. I think you have MVS as your deep threat on the right side of the field, while Rasheed is going to be your number one. Now, who your slot receiver is, fuck it, just throw Jarek McKinnon in there. He's doing better than Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore, honestly. Just keep Jarek as your slot receiver, or just throw Noah Gray as their big slot there. Just say, screw it, go body him. The run game, it didn't do great this game, but when Mahomes is throwing for 424 yards and four touchdowns, you really don't need your run game to do much. Herbert was a bit off with this game. Two interceptions. He did have to play hero ball a bit because they were down so much. I think that Asante Samuel, you are right, did get burnt. But he did kind of make up with the interception. Not by much, though. The only player that I will highlight... Well, two, actually, on this Chargers offense would be Joshua Palmer. Showing his deep threat ability with five for 100... 33 and Joshua Kelly he only had seven carries but he had 75 yards and a touchdown they really couldn't figure out Joshua Kelly in the short amount of carries he got I think we need to see him get some more carries and alleviate some from Austin Eckler so Eckler is going to be better later in the year see I I could somewhat agree with that Jake but here's the problem that I have with it is where was this Josh Kelly when Austin Eckler was hurt because remember Austin Eckler played only week one and then he was gone until after their bye. He played last week, and he looked rusty. And this week, I don't know what it was, but I genuinely felt like... Think about this, Jake. He is probably the best receiving back, him or Christian McCaffrey. He had two targets and one catch for one yard. What I think is happening with this Chargers offense is Kellen Moore likes the big play. He loves deep shots. And as someone who loves watching deep shots, I, I love it too. But what Justin Herbert had last year was he had a reliable outlet in Austin Eckler. Austin Eckler had more targets and more catches than anyone else last year by quite a bit. Now, I'm not saying that you dump it off to him a bunch, but at the same time, I feel like what, what the Chargers are having an issue with is relying too much on deep shots. And I don't think that they're trying to have too many, like, you know, dump downs, too many outlet passes, which I think that if you can get some of these guys in space, it would be massive. Now, like you said, Joshua Palmer, he's been probably the most consistent receiver outside of Keenan Allen because, Jake, I think Quentin Johnson might be a bust. I mean, he's had two targets and one catch for 20 yards. We talked about it when Mike Evans went down. We were expecting him to absolutely step up and be that number two, be that jump ball specialist. And he's been non-existent. He, he really has. Now, I will give a little bit of credit to the Chargers defense. They didn't play terribly. It looks bad because Travis Kelsey was just a monster. 
but I didn't think that they played too terrible. Now, they do need to generate a better pass rush, Jake, because no team spends more on defense than the Chargers, and one sack, that is not, that's nowhere near enough for a defense of this caliber, especially when you have players like Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack, Derwin James, Eric Kendricks, and Asante Samuel. You just have to, you have to play better. Now, Jake, a little interesting fact, and this is probably the only time I think you and I have mentioned Taylor Swift really on the podcast, but they had a stat where Taylor Swift in games that she's attended, Travis Kelsey's averaging 99 yards a game. When she is not there, he's averaging 46 and a half yards per game. I'm going to say it right now, Jake. Love does a lot to change a man's mindset. And I mean a lot. But moving into our final game for our Eyes on 5 recap. Jake, this is another one we got wrong. Though I don't think we expected to get it wrong by this much. Sunday Night Football, Philadelphia hosting Miami and schooling the Dolphins 31-17. to What were your thoughts on this game? I think this was definitely some heavy-ass ref ball in this game. Like, you had 10 calls on the freaking Dolphins, but none on the Eagles. And there was at least four or five blatant flags that could have been thrown on the Eagles that would have continued drives and probably led to at least a field goal. The Dolphins gave it their all, but at the end of the day, they have too many injuries on their offensive line on the left side they had a backup left tackle a backup left guard a backup center and i'm pretty sure their right guard went down in this game as well you can't have that against this type of pass rush that the that the eagles have i think if they had a fully healthy o-line even with the ref ball it would have been a lot closer because you would have more time for two to develop plays you'd have a lot more deep shots because you only really had two or three deep shot completions. Usually there's like four or five per game with the Dolphins offense. But at the end of the day, this was still a good game, even with the ref ball, which I'm pretty sure as all football fans, even if you aren't an Eagles or a Dolphins fan, you hate you hate seeing that shit. Not having Xavier and Howard really showed because AJ Brown just killed this freaking defense. 10 receptions, 137 yards, and a touchdown. You can't do much against A.J. Brown unless you have one of your top corners in the league. You didn't have Ramsey, who's still going to be out for a little bit, but he is on time to practice now. And Xavier Howard being out? Shit, I do not like it. Julio Jones did get a catch, though. Only one for three yards, but hey, catch is a catch. Besides that, the Dolphins' defense did pretty decent on the pass rush, pass rushing front. You got three sacks. Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips are starting to really kind of come to their own as a duo. Um, besides that, you really could get. You didn't really have many rushing attempts, which you really can't do with the Dolphins' offense because if they get down, they can't run the ball. They have to pass it. I love Tua, but he relies on that run game to set up the play action, which he's one of the best at in the league. He really does, and Jake, I think that a big story with this game as well was, I mean, you mentioned the ref ball. There were some really blatant calls, and I've tried to not uh, blame the refs too, too much, 
when we talk about games in our recaps because there's going to be calls that are missed, but it was very significant to me how 10 penalties to none, it was some severe home cooking by this Eagles by this Eagles team and the, by the referees. You can't have 10 penalties though, Jake, even if the Philadelphia Eagles had, you know, six. 10 penalties is just way too much. And with injuries, and if you're down, it's hard to overcome. Again, there was ref ball, but you also don't want to put yourself in that situation. Now, Tyreek Hill had a solid game, but there wasn't really any opportunity for a big play. Now, Jalen Waddle also had to go out for a little bit. He did return, and he put up an okay stat line, six catches for 63 yards, 100% catch rate. But like you said, the run game was just non-existent. And when the run game isn't there by any team, if you make them one-dimensional, it is very difficult for a team to win then. But on the Eagles front, Jake, Jalen Hurts, I really looked at this game as them really trying to lean more on the run rather than have Jalen Hurts throw it. And Jalen Hurts was limping at some points during this game, potentially after the tush-push touchdown that he got. Now, they ran the tush-push a lot this game. And I think that it's going to get reviewed by the league in the offseason. It's definitely going to be looked at. I think you absolutely have to. I wouldn't be surprised if it was outlawed because aesthetically, it's ugly. And not to mention... If there are injury concerns with it, you have to you have to consider player health-wise. I know what most people want to say. People are saying, oh, they want to outlaw it because it's unstoppable. If there's actual injury concerns, then there's a legitimate cause for potentially getting it removed from the game. Now, obviously, I think the Eagles are better than it than anyone, but I have sort of come around on the fact that. More teams are running it, and if they can't get it, and the Eagles can, that says more about the other teams than it does about the tush push itself. Now, this defense, Jake, this is the kind of defense that I was expecting from the Eagles. Four sacks, eight tackles for loss, six quarterback hits overall, and you did get a pick, Darius Slay, big play Slay, in the end zone, I believe. That is kind of what you need from this defense in order to keep Philly at the top. I mean, they're 6-1, and one, and, I mean, you think about it, Jake, the team that they lost to is not great. I mean, I think that the Eagles, I don't know if I'd put them number one in the league. I think it would be close between them and the Chiefs, but I think that on their best day, if they can keep this balance 31 passes 34 rushes i like the eagles odds oh easy if the eagles are going to be going more for the deadline like you suggested uh they get one more pass rusher or their secondary gets more healthy oh shit it's gonna be scary and with them getting one of the best safeties in the league in trade uh shit I don't know how to feel about it, but all I 
think about is the text you sent me when it happened. And it was like, how does Hallie Roseman keep getting away with this? Yeah, it was the gif. It was a gif from Breaking Bad when Jesse is going, he can't keep getting away with this. And I absolutely think that. I mean, the fact that people are willing to deal with Howie Roseman still, it's just, come on, people. We have seen what the Eagles do. Why are you letting them get all of these players? You let them get Kevin Byard. You let them get Nolan Smith and Jalen Carter in the draft at nine. They got Carter at nine. Nolan Smith at 30. They can't keep getting away with this. (laughs) But... Mm -hmm. Jake, moving away from our recap, let's move into Thursday night football. This past night, we had a very interesting game. We had the Buffalo Bills hosting the Tampa Bay Bucks and beating the Buccaneers 24-18 in a game that had no business being this close, Jake. Josh Allen, you look at his stat line, 31 of 40, two touchdowns, one interceptions, and 324 yards passing. And he had seven carries for 41 yards and a rushing touchdown. I mean, you think about that stat line, Jake. You know, 365 total yards, three total touchdowns, one interception. And yet it was only a six-point game. Now, I'll be honest, Jake. The fact that Khalil Shakir was their leading receiver when I think in our predictions uh, at the start of the season, you and I were like, who the hell is Khalil Shakir? He had a very good game. And Gabe Davis, Jake, is stepping up in a way that we had been asking for for the last two years. He's finally looking like the receiver that we have wanted him to be. Nine catches, 87 yards, and a touchdown. He tied Stefan Diggs in targets. When would we have ever expected that? Now, this defense, they played well. They got to Baker three times, and they hit him 10. Baker was running for his life a lot in this game. But overall, Jake, I was very impressed with the Bucs, even though I don't think they're all that good. Now, Baker, his stat line looks okay, 25 of 42, 237, and two touchdowns. But this run game was dead. Rashad White looked like he was getting good yards, Nine carries, 39 yards. But to be honest, Jake, those runs would look good and then also at the same time look mid after a while because a lot of those yards were on like two big carries and then they were basically running into a brick wall. This Bills run defense was playing very, very well. And Jake, did they just forget that Mike Evan exists? He only had six targets. Rashad White had seven, and Chris Godwin had seven. Now, Mike Evans, three catches, 39 yards. He did have a touchdown, but let's be honest, that was lucky. It bounced off of the dude's helmet that was guarding him and ricocheted into his chest. And then Kate Otten catches a deflected two-point conversion. Uh, To be honest, it was a game that the Bills definitely should have won by a lot more, but... The Tampa Bay Bucks, their defense kept them in it, but I want to give a special shout out, Jake, to Sam Martin. His he punted four times, three of them inside the 20, and they were basically four, three, eight, and then the one touchback 
was tapped at the one and he just couldn't tap it enough to prevent it to go into the end zone for the touchback. I think if he had gotten it there, I don't think they would have gotten in chance for a Hail Mary that, to be honest, they should have gotten. If Chris Godwin turns his head around, we might be having a different conversation. Oh, easy. And you're mentioning a shout-out player. I'm going to give one for both the Bills and the Bucks on this one. For the Bills, I got to give it to the rookie tight end Dalton Kincaid. The last two games, he has put up 140-something yards. He's had 15 targets and I think 14 were catches. And he just got his first touchdown of his young career. He is blossoming into a damn good potential future number one tight end in the future. And for the Bucks, it's a player we know all too well as a former Seattle Seahawk. Ryan Neal was all over the field playing like a bat out of hell. I miss him. 10, tack- 10 solo tackles and 3 assisted tackles. He was playing just out of his mind, like I mentioned a few seconds ago. He was just like, holy shit, he is possessed. Levante David still showing he's Levante David, which I love seeing. Uh, 18 or 14 total tackles for him. <laughs> I loved literally, I was not watching this game because I was at work, but I saw like, okay, Josh Allen threw a pick. Who picked it off? Like one of the DBs or Levante maybe? No, I saw William Golston got the pick and my thought, my first thought was like, all right, who deflected it at the line? And I literally watched the replay when I get home like, yep. Deflected off the line, went up in the air, and boom, right in his hands. That'll do it. Yeah, Antoine Winfield with a vicious blitz. And I was, I straight up was watching the game, and the person I was watching it with, I just looked at him and I'm like, why the hell would Josh Allen try to throw that again? Dirt it. Just, just dirt it. Don't give them that opportunity. And, well, and they, he did. He gave them the opportunity. Now, Jake, I think with the Bills, they're four and one at home, but they're one and two everywhere else. That's not good. And I think that the Bills, they probably need home field arguably more than anyone, even more than the Dolphins, I think. Because when I look at the Bills, their fans really, really generate just a different energy for this team. A lot of people say that home field is dead. I think it depends on the home field. I mean, you think about it. Jacksonville in fucking London. They won both their games this year, and they have a winning record in London. The Bills at home, I think, are a different beast than they are away. And I think if Josh Allen is able to keep up this which is what we expect from him, the good Josh Allen, and not what we saw against the Jets and the Giants. Apparently, the New York team scare him. I mean, you're the only true New York team, I'm just saying. Um, (laughs) I think that we will see a Josh Allen that was deserving of cover athlete this year for Madden. But Jake, before we get into our predictions and our preview of Week 8, Let's do some trade deadline talk. The trade deadline is Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time, 4 p.m. Eastern time. Now, let's give two players to keep an eye on, potentially on the move, and two potential teams that could be getting them. 
one for each player. Who do you have? So to start off, I have Chase Young. He's kind of been swirling around trade talks for the entirety of the NFL season so far. If he doesn't get traded, it wouldn't shock me because he's still playing really good. He's showing what he showed as a rookie and he's playing like a good, not a high tier, like we all thought he could have been like that alpha pass rusher, but he's playing really good. I will give the kid that. I have the Atlanta Falcons trading for Chase Young. Okay. I think that the Falcons could use a little more umph in their pass rush. I love what their linebackers and their secondary is doing. But the one flaw they have on that defense is their pass rush. Lately, they have been getting some sacks here and there, but they've been going against not so great to middle-tier offensive lines. If they go against like an Eagles or a Lions offensive line, I don't see them barely getting any pressure. Getting Chase Young is going to add to their rotation and making it a lot more deadly. Who do you have for your first one? So for my first player, Jake, I have Mike Evans heading to the Texans. Now, Mike Evans last night, Jake, he was visibly frustrated through the first three quarters. I think he had three targets and one catch for about seven yards. I think that what Mike Evans needs is a reset. The Bucks are a rebuilding team right now under Todd Bowles. Baker is not the future for this team, in my opinion. I think he's good. I do not think that he is going to be the guy. I think they might look to get a quarterback in this upcoming draft. And Mike Evans, I don't see wanting to stick around for a rebuild. He was visibly frustrated during this game. And I think that the Texans... A young quarterback like C.J. Stroud, he's on a rookie deal. You have Nico Collins. You have Tank Dell. I think that with the O-line playing pretty well, considering pretty much they have four offensive line injuries outside of Laramie Tunzel, it's basically a bunch of, you know, accountants and real estate agents at O-line. I think that having another receiver, a big play receiver like Mike Evans, would be massive for this team because D'Amico can coach the defense well. And I think that having that bona fide number one and letting Nico Collins take one-on-ones because of the attention that Mike Evans draws would be massive. I think that if they're able to get, you know, they could trade a first, well, no, they can't trade a first. But if they have a second they could give up, I definitely would for a guy of Mike Evans, Mike Evans' caliber. What do you think? I could definitely see a second-round pick. I don't know if I would give that up for Mike Evans because he is older. You're going to have to pay him. He's in the last year of his contract. And you are right. Rookie contract. It's his rookie contract. First year. You got four more years of control. Um, I think you could pay him like a two-year deal, give him like $44 million, 42 maybe. That might be a little much, but I'd say somewhere in the low 20s, high teens for Evans on a two-year deal. You can teach Nico Collins, and you could really have, like you said, that alpha with the Texans. And hell, who knows? Nico might develop into an alpha in the future because Mike Evans is there to help him. Um, I have a very interesting one. He's one of our favorite players in the league. I have Derrick Henry 
he's been trade he's been rumored to go to like the big two from what i have been seeing is the cowboys and the ravens i'm throwing one in there that nobody's talked about i have him going to the packers really think about it we have seen what this team has looked like without aaron jones they have looked like shit AJ Dillon was supposed to be your King Henry was supposed to be your Derrick Henry. He hasn't been able to do anything this year. I don't know what type of regression he's been hit with, but I don't like what I'm seeing. I think like you said a couple weeks back, if he gets cut by the end of the year, fuck it. Wouldn't shock me. Uh you get Derrick Henry in the building. <laughs> oh Aaron Jones healthy with a de- healthy Derrick Henry. That is a scary ass one two punch. Now, Henry is in the last year of his deal, if I'm think if I'm remembering right, if not the second to so. last year if yeah, if not the second to last year in his deal. You get two years out of Derrick Henry, or at least one year, I'd say one year for this year, and then give him a two year contract. And probably by that time, Derrick Henry will probably be close to retiring because you're starting to see some age and the wear and tear on his body hit him. He's still playing very well for the freaking hard-hitting running back he is. But I think having Derrick Henry and Aaron Jones in that backfield, oh, that is something special and something that defenses have to worry about. I think so, too, and I like the Packers pick. I mean, you got to give love to your favorite team. I understand that, especially since, yeah, Aaron Jones, him being out, he's been, even when he's been in, Jake, he's been a non-factor. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they moved on from Aaron Jones, I think, at the end of the year because of the fact that he he seems to get injured more and more And he just, when he comes back, he doesn't have the same pop that he has, the same playmaking ability that he has at the running back position. I think Derrick Henry would be a welcome replacement for him. And I would absolutely love to see it. I think he'd look all right in that green and, well, ugly yellow though. But Jake, for my second, I'm going to be talking about another receiver. I'm going to be talking about Cortland Sutton of the Denver Broncos. Now, a lot of people have been saying that Jerry Judy's the guy to keep an eye on for this. I think it's Cortland Sutton because of the fact that he is probably your only receiver that has legitimate value because Jerry Judy has been non-existent and has been more focused on fighting with Steve Smith than actually playing ball at a high level. I think Cortland Sutton could be a sell at the trade deadline and Jake... I think that what if we see the Panthers make a play for Cortland Sutton? Now, I understand that you look at the team, they're winless. Why would the Broncos trade a win to a winless team? Draft capital. They have two, or they don't have any ones, but they do have a two. If you could get a second or a third for Cortland Sutton, I absolutely would because this is probably the highest his value will be all year. I don't think you can get any more for him than what you can get right now, which is probably a second round pick, which you need. I think that when I look at the Panthers, they need a weapon for Bryce Young. Now, obviously, I think O-line would also be massive, but you're not trading good O-linemen at any time, especially not at the trade deadline. 
I think Easily that <laughs> yeah, your Packers definitely could use one. But I think that when I look at the Panthers' weapons, Lavishka Chenault, Adam Thielen, Terrace Marshall Jr., there's not a whole lot of hope there outside of Adam Thielen, but Jake, Adam Thielen might as well be in a coffin at this point. The man is like 31, 32. He's old for a receiver. And he's never been a fast guy. He's always been a possession. I think that Cortland Sutton, who can get down the field, he is a big receiver. You can throw it up to him, jump balls. I think Bryce Young, and again, another rookie contract. I think that if you can load up on weapons and this next draft, you can go and get a high-value offensive lineman, potentially... You know, you trade up, maybe trade Brian Burns, who's been a subject of trade talks, get a first for him. And then I would flip that into the best tackle in the draft or the best guard because you just need offensive line help at this point and you need weapons. Colton Sutton would absolutely take care of that weapon issue. I think getting another weapon for your young rookie quarterback and CJ Stroud will do nothing but good things. I don't see them trading to the Panthers because I think the Panthers are too prideful in their own receivers right now. Could I see it? Yes. But I think that the the Broncos are greedy as shit. They still want a first for Jerry Judy. From what I've heard, they either want a low first or a high second for Cortland Sutton. Which, uh, fuck that. I wouldn't even pay that for Judy. But, moving away from the trade deadline talks, let's go to our eyes on five for week eight. What was your first game, Adam? So, Jake, my first game is going to be a early window game. And it is going to be the Jacksonville Jaguars taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers in Akrasher Stadium. Fuck off. Heinz Field. Heinz Stadium. Akrasher sounds like something you take care of, like you take care of Poison Ivy with. Uh, silly. Heinz Field. But, Jake, Jacksonville is 5-2, and two, coming off a win against the Saints. And, Jake, this is going to be the one game that they play, and the next week they're on bye, it is going to be a high priority to get this win and go in to the bye 6-2. and two. Now, the Steelers, they played well this past week. They did get a win, albeit controversial, against the Rams. Another case of ref ball, which I don't understand how you miss that spot when Kenny Pickett was the Grand Canyon away from that first down marker, but I digress. Jake, I think the biggest key for the Steelers is going to be getting George Pickens and Deontay Johnson involved against a secondary that I believe is still going to be without Tyson Campbell, their best corner. Now, the Saints, they had success against this defense, even though it didn't even look all that pretty. Derek Carr didn't play great, but at the same time, it was close. Now, Trevor Lawrence, Jake, I expect a big game against this Steelers defense. 
Now, a lot of people are going to pick the Steelers on this because Mike Tomlin as an underdog is virtually a guarantee. Jacksonville is two-point favorites. I would eat the two points, take Jacksonville against the Steelers because I trust Trevor Lawrence far more than I trust Kenny Pickett. And I believe that the run game that we've been seeing with Travis Etienne, I think it continues. And I love this Jacksonville team, 6-2, and two, heading into their bye week. What do you think? Oh, I definitely can understand that. If the Steelers have any chance of winning this, uh, they're just going to abandon the run game. Because if they try to run up the middle against this Jacksonville Jaguar D-line, they ain't going to do shit. The only chance they have with this run game to get started is outside zone and, like, toss and pitches. Which, with how Foyasada Luyakun and Chad Muma and the rest of that linebacker core has been playing, uh, I don't like out. I don't like their chances with outside zone or toss and pitches because they don't have the speed or capability to really deal with that linebacker core. Uh, you are right. Deontay has to be, get going, and you're going to have to get a lot of 50-50 balls from George Pickens. This is going to have to be a George Pickens-type game for them to have a snowball's chance in hell or... You're going to have to see that Steelers defense just play out of their damn mind, which they can do, but this is a good overall offense that the Jacksonville Jaguars have. You have Calvin Ridley. If you take him away, you have Christian Kirk. You take him away, you still have Evan Ingram and Zay Jones. And even if you take those guys away, which taking all four, could fucking luck. But in the snowball's chance in hell, this Pittsburgh Steelers defense can take away their pass game. They still have Travis Etienne and Tank's Bigs- Tank Bigsby, which is a really good one-two punch. They are going to get yards. They are going to get touchdowns. It just depends on who's going to get them for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And can the Pittsburgh Steelers keep up? I don't think so. I think the Jags win this game. Will it be close? I could see it. I think it'll be within a touchdown because I think the Pittsburgh Steelers defense is going to keep a minute. But I think the Jaguars at the end of the day have too much firepower on their offense to really hinder them too much. So I think it's going to be like a, I'm going to say 27-20 game for this. I could see that. I would probably be leaning a little bit more into the 30-20 range. I think that Jacksonville is going to be able to run the ball very efficiently against this Pittsburgh front, wear down that pass rush. I don't know if TJ Watt's going to be able to tee off as much as he's wanting. I could still see him getting a sack, but I don't. if he gets multiple sacks, that would greatly aid the Steelers' chances of winning. And I think that's probably the only chance they have of winning. But Jake, let's go to your first game. What do you have? So my first game is going to be the battle of the New Jersey teams. I have the New York Jets and the New York Giants, or as I like to call them, the New Jersey Jets and the New Jersey Giants. Um, I really got interested in this game because... You have Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed Jr. coming back for the Jets. I think that's only going to be a great help for them because you're getting your top two cornerbacks back into the system where the defense has already been playing pretty good. And I'm very interested because 
this defense hasn't looked the same without their cornerbacks. Their pass rush has still been good, but teams have been able to pass the ball a little bit on them. Um, another thing is I want to see a more valid run game or balanced run game from Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook. Because Dalvin Cook has come out and said like, hey, I'm not getting shit for touches. I And we all know with Dalvin, he's a heavy load kind of guy because he, the further into the game, the more carries he gets, the better he is. And on the New York Giants side of things, I want to see how this defense plays because I think the Giants do have a good defense. They're not a top 10, but they're a good middle tier unit. They have a lot of upside and not so much downside. They are a little older, but hey, almost every defense is. The one thing that I'm excited to see is Tyrod Taylor has been very interesting at quarterback for them. I think that with Daniel Jones out another week because of his neck, I think Tyrod has a chance to do some good things. And hell, I'll be the first to say it. He is the first black quarterback to start for the Giants and to and black quarterbacks have started for the Giants, but a black quarterback who has started has never won a game for the Giants until Tyrod did last week. So I will give him his bushel of roses. The guy is playing pretty good so far. I'm excited for this game, even though I think it's going to be very low scoring. I think it's going to be a good game nonetheless. I definitely think that it has the potential to be a good game. Now it is a backup quarterback in Zach Wilson versus a backup quarterback in Tyrod Taylor. But Jake, I've never looked at Tyrod Taylor as a backup quarterback. I've always looked at Tyrod Taylor as the unlucky guy who's always been replaced for the other guy. You think about it. Bills, he got replaced for Josh Allen. Chargers, he was starting. Justin Herbert takes over because he gets stabbed in the lung. Browns, he started before Baker Mayfield and he got hurt. Tyrod Taylor is just been very, very, very unlucky. And now he's finally playing well with the Giants. Like you said, first black quarterback to ever start and win a game for the Giants in their entire history. Now, I actually like the Giants a little bit more in this game than I like the Jets because of Tyrod Taylor's efficiency when passing the football. He's a lot more efficient than Daniel Jones, and he can give you some mobility. Now, Jake, I think the biggest key for the Giants' offense is continuing to get Darren Waller involved. When has, where has he been? Because it seemed like when Daniel Jones was playing, Jake, Darren Waller was a ghost. Now that Tyrod Taylor is playing, we are seeing him getting targeted early and often, and that has been a massive boon for this Giants' offense. Now, the Giants' defense does need to continue whatever streak it's on because they've been playing very well but Jake on the Jets side like you said Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed coming back I think that the Jets remember they are coming off a bye after giving the Eagles their first loss I couldn't remember who it was that the Eagles lost to it was the Jets and Zach Wilson I think the key for the Jets to win this game is continuing to lean on that run game like you said Dalvin Cook is complaining about touches. He should be getting some touches in this game. I think Brees Hall is going to get the majority of the touches. 
and I think you'll see a lot of targeting to Garrett Wilson, which I absolutely would line him up against Deontay Banks of the Giants, their rookie corner. He's looked pretty rough, and I think that Garrett Wilson, if Zach Wilson can get the ball to him, he definitely could have the potential for a big game. Now, the Jets are favored by three. This is a stay-away game from me. I would not bet on this game because it's two ugly teams, two, you know, offenses that are kind of inefficient. Now, I do trust Tyrod Taylor more than I trust Zach Wilson, but we'll get into the prediction for that game in a little bit. But Jake, moving on to my second game, and this is rare for me to do. I'm actually taking the Monday night game, primetime Raiders heading to the Motor City to take on the Detroit Lions. Now, Jake, the Lions, after losing to the Ravens like we discussed earlier, historically teams that get embarrassed play much better the next week. Now, I don't know what other word you use other than embarrassing for what the Lions suffered. They're going to be playing pissed off. Now, David Montgomery, I think, has a chance of being back, but if he isn't, lean on Jameer Gibbs like you have been because he is absolutely capable of a 20 to 25 touch game, 10, 12 carries, give him like eight catches, you know, 11, 12 targets if you can. I think that if they're able to continue to keep Jameer Gibbs involved in the game, as well as Amon Ross St. Brown, Sam Laporta, hell, even Josh Reynolds, who's been playing very well. I like their chances against a Raiders defense that has been pretty damn suspect. They're not very good. Now, Jake, the Raiders, I don't know who we're going to see starting because they could say a O'Connell. They could say Brian Hoyer. We'll probably end up seeing a combination of both. Now, I think that there's no way that the Raiders win this, but... There is the rule of any given Sunday. If there is any chance of them winning this game, Jake, I think it is going to come down to Max Crosby basically having a three-sack game, which he's more than capable of, but he's going to need to be that game-wrecking force that we have seen him be in order to disrupt this Lions offense that has been very, very high-scoring outside of this past week. But, Jake, Lions are favored by eight? Uh, it's a big number. I'm a little iffy on it, but what do you think? I definitely think that the Lions are going to be out for blood in this game. Or as Campbell likes to put it, he's going to be biting kneecaps at this game. Kneecaps Because, up. yeah. I think they're pissed. They're going to be really going for... The, they're going to be going for the win on this one, and they're going to be going for a blowout because after getting embarrassed by the Ravens in a high-profile game for both of those teams last week, they're not going to look to say... They're not going to look to kneel down to a, an inferior team like the Raiders and say, yeah, we'll just, let, we'll just roll over and die for you. They're not the old Lions anymore. If they lose, they're going to come back and kick your ass or fucking die trying they're not gonna just sit down and just take their punches they're gonna punch back and make this about this lions team is like you said going to fight for every inch of grass that they can get 
I think their weapons are just going to eat this Las Vegas Raiders team alive. And uh, this is one of the few times Crosley may not do much. Because this line that the Lions have is going to be something really good. And I think it's going to be exciting to see how Crosby handles Panay Suel or Taylor Decker for that, for, for that example. But I think you're going to see a lot of Panay Suel on Crosby. Uh, you got a freak against a freak in that one. If Panay Suel gives up, gives up a sack, uh, that's going to be his first sack given up in like six, in like 500, 550 pass reps. And if anybody can do it, it would be Crosby. But I think the Lions plus, you said plus eight was the line to give? They are favored by eight, minus eight. Yeah, uh, I, I'm expecting at least 10 plus. I definitely think that it's possible. I would probably lean that way. But at the same time, big numbers when it comes to betting, unless it's a really inferior team, I usually stay away from it. And in this one, even though I have a lot more faith in the Lions than I would ever have in the Raiders by a long shot, it is something of a backdoor cover that is possible. And so that's why I'm a little iffy on it. But Jake, let's move to your second game. What are you going to be keeping your eyes on? So my second game is going to be another kind of below the radar game. But I like both teams. I have the New Orleans Saints visiting the Indianapolis Colts. I think without Anthony Richardson, the Colts are doing okay. They're doing better than I thought. I thought teams would have figured out Gardner Minshew a lot better and would have been able to counter this game a lot more. I think with Jonathan Taylor finally back, I think this is going to be a good game for him to test out, kind of getting back, getting the legs work, getting his body ready for a full load. I think that if Taylor doesn't get ready for this game, Zach Moss is going to do something because he's been showing in uh, Taylor's absence that he can play. I mean, I think he's third in the league in rushing right now, if not second. And I think uh, the big story for me is how the hell is a Gus Bradley defense, especially the Colts linebackers, Gonna handle Alvin Kamara. Uh, I don't know how they're gonna handle Kamara, whether it be through the running game or more likely in the passing game. These Colts linebackers are gonna be eaten alive and no fault of their own. Gus Bradley is not putting him in good situations because we all know when he used to be with Seattle, it was cover three all day. Back when he was with Seattle, he had the personnel to do that with one of the best defenses of all time. The Colts don't have the linebackers like they don't have a Bobby Wagner. Uh, They don't have a KJ Wright. I don't think that the Colts will be able to do much. I had the Saints winning this one by about five, six points. Not by a full touchdown. I think it'll be close, but I think the Saints will at least win by probably two field goals. I definitely could see where you're coming from with that. Now, Jake, it is two, three, and four teams. Two teams that are honestly, I mean, the Saints we had high hopes for. A lot of people picked them to win this division. I'm disappointed in them by a lot because I thought Derek Carr would be a little bit better. But, Jake, 1,600 yards through the air, six touchdowns to four picks. He's been throwing 
far too many picks, and they've all looked pretty damn bad. Now, I think that Alvin Kamara, he's probably going to have another 10 catches because it seems like Derek Carr has just been paralyzed to throw it deep outside of out of bounds trying to draw a flag. Now, Chris Olave, Jake, I think he could have a big game against this Gus Bradley defense because, like you said, their corners aren't great, but they're not terrible. Now, I did just look it up. Jake, Zach Moss is second in the league in rushing, right behind Christian McCaffrey. I think that they are going to lean on him a good bit. Now, I don't know if Jonathan Taylor will be on a pitch count or not. I think, though, if he has no limitations, he will slowly out-snap and probably out-carry Zach Moss as he continues to get more ingratiated. But I do think that Zach Moss is going to make the most of his touches. And I think if the Colts win this game, they're going to lean on Gardner Minshew's legs again. Those two rushing touchdowns makes you have to account for his legs. While he won't run a ton, he can run enough to keep you honest. And I think that the Saints defense is going to have, a, have to keep an eye on that. Now, the line is New Orleans favored by one and a half. I think if you were asking me to take a side betting-wise on it, I would take the Colts plus one and a half because I think that there's a chance they could win it outright. But at the same time, the Saints, if they can get their weapons running, up and running, I definitely think that they can win pretty comfortably. But, hey, the Colts, they, they should have won last week, Jake, against the Browns team that we didn't think was very good. But, Jake, moving into the final game for Eyes on 5, the Bengals heading to Santa Clara to take on the 49ers in a game that might be without Brock Purdy. I think, Jake, that the key to this game is obviously going to be the run game. Kyle Shanahan loves to run the ball. Christian McCaffrey, Jordan Mason, Elijah Mitchell, when he gets targets, hell, he'll even mix in some George Kittle runs. Like, he's not afraid to give the ball to anyone. Now... I think that if they're able to run the ball well, if Sam Darnold is the one that plays, he, it'll keep him from playing too much hero ball, which is what his issue was when he was with the Jets and when he was with the Panthers. I think that what Kyle Shanahan's going to be able to do is clean up some of that hero ball and make him play a little bit more efficient, a little bit more cautious, let him take maybe some deep shots, but I don't think he's going to have anywhere near the free range that Brock Purdy has because to me, Brock Purdy is a more accurate passer than Sam Darnold. But I also think that they can lean on this San Francisco defense, which to be honest, Jake has played well, despite these last two losses, they played pretty damn well against the Vikings. Definitely a performance that Kirk Cousins, I mean, he played the best game he ever will on prime time. So good for him. I mean, they played well considering that. But on the Bengals side, Jake, I think that it's going to come down to that pass rush. Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson. Hell, even B.J. Hill. If they can get that pass rush going, no matter who the quarterback is for the San Francisco 49ers, 
I would absolutely love the Bengals in this situation because I think that the running ability of this offense, of Kyle Shanahan's, I think that it can get stifled if they can then end up keying in on that because the passing game is shut down. Now, I think that if they can't, their secondary is susceptible to Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle. But on the other side of that, Joe Burrow, he started to look a little bit more like himself. I think that this could be a Jamar Chase, T. Higgins type game where Jamar Chase could go for 10 catches, 160 yards, maybe a touchdown or two. I think that also the run game is not going to be there. So that's only going to further their need to pass. But if they really want to try and get an established run game, this would be the defense to do it against because this is a formidable defense. And if they can get a run game going, ooh, the Bengals could be scary. Oh, easy. If they can actually get Joe Mixon and Chase Brown out into open field or try to do some inside zone to try to take advantage of... The lot, maybe the linebackers being a little too much off kilter or a little too much out of space, which with how the linebackers for the Niners have been playing, I don't see happening, but hey, anything's possible. I think you are right. The Bengals are going to have to rely more on that pass game than the run game because not too many teams can run on a 49ers defense, especially with Fred Warner as the leader of it. I think that... I think a player that the, for the Bengals that could surprise and kind of be the key for this is Irv Smith. I think if Irv Smith can actually come into this game and play, there's a chance he could actually do something. Now, whether or not he does anything against Fred Warner or Dre Greenlaw, whoever is in protection, whoever is covering him, I don't know. Uh, on the San Francisco 49ers side of things, I think that they're going to jump back and show that, hey, we may have lost, but we're not going to lose him anymore. Uh, looking at the diagnosis for Purdy, he's practicing fully after the concussion concussion diagnosis, so he could play. And if not, you have Sam Donald, who is a, he's a good backup. I'm not going to say he's a bad backup, but... We've seen almost any quarterback play in this deep in this Shanahan offense, and they've all been good. The thing that I'm going to be curious about is how is this Bengals O line going to handle that 49ers pass rush? Nick Bosa might have two or three sacks in this game easy. So I think this is going to be a game you're going to see that Niners defense take over. And you're going to see a lot of quick throws from Burrow so he doesn't get killed in the pocket. Oh, for sure. I definitely could see that. Now, Jake, San Francisco is favored by five. I would absolutely take the Bengals plus five because I'm getting the better quarterback. I'm arguably getting the better wide receiver. And I'm probably getting a better defense overall, specifically looking at the cumulative pass rush that the Bengals possess outside of just Nick Bosa specifically, a little bit of Eric Armstead. I think also that the linebackers for the Buccaneers, or Buccaneers, Bengals, 
are at least somewhat comparable to the Niners, Logan Wilson, Jermaine Pratt, Dre Greenlaw, Fred Warner. I think they are at least comparable more so than what people might think. Now, Jake, before we wrap up this preview, I want to get your picks real quick. Who do you have in our five games? So for the five games, I have the Jets being the Giants. I have the Saints beating the Colts. I have the 49ers beating the Bengals. And what were your two games? Because I did not write them down, unfortunately. (laughs) Mine were uh, Lions, Raiders, and Jaguars, Steelers. I have the Jags beating the Steelers, and I have the Lions beating the Raiders. All good choices, all good choices. So I will start with the Monday night game, absolutely taking the Lions over the Raiders. I actually am going to take the Bengals over the 49ers. I think that better quarterback, I will usually take that, especially with Joe Burrow looking like himself again. Now, Jake, for the Jaguars-Steelers, I'm absolutely taking the Jaguars. For the Jets-Giants, I am going to take the Giants. I think that Tyrod Taylor will play cautious enough to not throw any picks to Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed. I think the Giants escape with one there. And then Saints-Colts, I am going to take the Colts to shock the Saints and move up in this division. So a little bit of differing opinions on this week, unlike last week where we were in lockstep. But Jake, moving into our our closing thoughts, I want to know how you feel about facing me in fantasy this week. Uh, With how Jordan loves him playing these last few fucking weeks, I don't feel very good because I'm going to need fucking Tyreek Hill (laughs) to actually go off. I mean, shit. I actually need to check how many points he's been averaging on a week-to-week basis. I think he's been averaging in the low 20s. Yeah, so he has been averaging 26.66 points a week for me. And he's the number one ranked receiver in the league. I'm going to need Cooper Cup to actually go off like he did his first week back. And can Chris Olave fucking do something? He has been on a slow tear these last couple weeks. Sure, he had a good amount against Houston, but Jacksonville, he didn't do shit. I want to see at least 15 for him, for him to help me out. Uh, If Love can actually do any fucking thing, it'd be nice. If Pacheco doesn't do anything for me against the 32nd ranked uh, team for running running back to get points from, I'm going to be pissed. But... (laughs) I think that having the rest of my team kind of be on the shitter, yeah, I really wish I could do a little bit better. Well, we faced each other in week one, and Tyree Kill had 41 points, and you blew me out by 20. So I feel a little bit more confident in this week, as Josh Allen gave me 29 last night, Mike Evans somehow squeaked out 12, and I think that Puka Nakua, Jake, He's going to be Cooper Cup's worst nightmare. Out-targeted him last week and outgained him by a lot. If Puka Nakua can continue doing what he has been doing and Nico Collins, can you do literally anything for me? Same with Austin Eckler, literally anything. And because, Jake, two of my running backs are hurt on IR and I don't trust Saquon Barkley, I'm starting Gus Edwards. Gus the bus, I love you. Please just give me a touchdown, brother, and we are set. 
that that's all I need because fuck Saquon Barkley because he might get hurt and I'm sorry Saquon I love you but you might get hurt and Ramondre Stevenson you're losing carries and targets to Ezekiel Elliott that is sad but Jake it that really is, is. <laughs> yeah but Jake that is going to wrap things up for this episode of run past the brain cell make sure to check us out on iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for Jake Miller, I'm Adam Skirko. We'll see you next time. Take care. Have a good time.